Good afternoon. I'm Jennifer Stevens, and welcome to Make the Connection. I'm here today with my guest, Megan Longley from Austin Community Foundation. Good afternoon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time. So I'm going to jump right into it, if that's okay. Uh, Megan serves as Vice President of Community Impact for Austin Community Foundation, but let's back up and talk about Austin Community Foundation first. Can you tell me a little bit about your mission and the role you play in our community, as well as the support that you provide the donors in the Austin area? Absolutely. Uh, So the Austin Community Foundation is about 40 years old, and really, we started as a charitable bank. People would leave charitable dollars in their estates, and trust officers at banks would think, I don't really know what to do with this. Right. And so uh, the community foundation model was started as an answer to that question. And the idea is that forever, in perpetuity, you would have expert staff people that understood the community better than anybody that would be able to execute on those donors' wishes long after they were gone. And so that's really what we are. We're a charitable bank, and I feel really lucky to get to spend my time really at the intersection of those two things generous people that care a bunch about our community, and the nonprofits that work day in and day out to make sure that it's a better place now and forever. And so in that, you're working on both sides of that all day, every day. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter the interest of the donor or the service area of the nonprofit. So it could be animal health, children's health, homelessness, whatever. Absolutely. On our donor side, that's exactly what our mission is to do. It's to make the, those make those connections. So to connect donors that have resources with nonprofits that have solutions. And we have an incredible team that works on that every day. We have 1,300 funds. So imagine 1,300 people, dead or alive, that have decided that the Austin Community Foundation would be their partner in philanthropy and a staff committed to making sure that their philanthropic dreams come true. Um, I have the really fortunate opportunity to work in that intersection, but more focused on the goals that the Community Foundation has set out for the organization in the community impact space. That's very cool. It is pretty cool. Plus, you get to learn so much about so much, which is, I think, keeps it fun. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your role a little bit. Can you tell me more about your day-to-day and what role do you play with your nonprofit partners? And as you play that role, maybe what are your two or three good pieces of advice that you'd want a new nonprofit to know as they're looking to launch an effort? Well, I and you and I were just talking about this before we hit record, uh, get emails and calls all the time from folks um, looking to understand better how philanthropy works. What are foundations looking for? What are individual philanthropists looking for? How can I make myself most attractive to the people with resources so that I can do my mission? And in Austin, maybe more than anywhere else, you just have a bunch of folks that care a lot but aren't necessarily professional nonprofit folks. They just have a dream and a passion, and they're ready to roll up their sleeves and get out there. And so I do get to have a lot of those conversations and um I think the first thing that I recommend people do is to pick their head up and look around. Um, Likely there are other groups that share that passion. Mm -hmm. And maybe you have a little different spin on it. Maybe your focus is a little bit different, but is it complementary somewhere else? Um, Because I think the more we can all work together, I think that's true on the the foundation side too. If we could all get together and ask for a little less from our nonprofit partners, that would save them some capacity on that side. But I think the first piece of advice I, I give is to pick your head up. It's interesting you say that because I often feel that and someone has 
told me, and I've never verified that it's true, that Austin has more nonprofits per capita than any city in the country. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels that way. Yeah, and I hear that a lot, too. And I heard this joke the other day that if you get three Austinites in a coffee shop, a nonprofit will form. (laughs) That's totally true, (laughs) which I do think comes from a place of good. Absolutely. But at the same time, you know, the road to hell is paved with good Mm -hmm. intention. And so it can fatigue donors and foundations who are looking to make a bigger impact. So maybe it's like, could you work together and achieve 85% and maximize, you know, maximize your reach versus everybody doing 100% of of a lot of small things. Right. I think it also speaks to the entrepreneurial spirit of Austin. Everybody's got a better idea or a more efficient way to do it and has that drive to figure it out on their own. And, And like you said, I think it all comes from a really good place. And we could do better. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So if you are an entrepreneur and you are thinking about starting a nonprofit and you have pulled your head up and decided (laughs) maybe somebody isn't there for you, as you're looking to build your organization, or for that matter, maybe you've been around for a while, but it's time to think about new blood and and bigger vision or whatever, Mm -hmm. what's the advice that you give to those nonprofit leaders as they begin to pull together their leadership team, be that a board or advisory committee, maybe even staffing? Wow. I think it's that it can be really challenging. There's such an appetite for talent in Austin. And uh, in the nonprofit sector, we struggle with attracting the kind of talent that we really need to solve intractable problems, because that's what we've asked the nonprofit sector to do. Solve hunger, solve homelessness, solve a broken public education system. But do it with no money. Right. And don't pay people. <laughs> and don't pay people. Right. And try uh, to live in Austin. <laughs> yes. Don't even tell me about your overhead number. Um, so I think that's a challenge. But I think um, something that I've seen work really well on our team at the Austin Community Foundation is to build a leadership team with really complementary skill sets. I saw this cartoon recently that had a – it was two people talking kind of an interview situation. And the, the caption was hiring for culture fit. And the person across the table just had a mirror as a head. <laughs> right. And we can't just hire a bunch of people that are like us. And so I think looking for a team that has really complementary skill sets and beyond that, complementary life experiences. If we're talking about some of these problems that um, – deeply impact specific communities, asking yourself if you have representation from those communities on your staff, on your board, uh, because those real life experiences will transform the way you do business. Interesting. I'm curious what your opinion is on the overhead, you know, expense ratio. I I get that question a Mm -hmm. lot. And, you know, I think the answer to that, in my opinion, Probably not the Association of Fundraising Professionals' opinion, <laughs> but in Jennifer's opinion, um, you know, I, my answer to that is it depends, you know, and and sometimes you've got to spend money to make money. And while I understand that a dollar raised not going to mission can feel to some like a dollar not well spent, uh, at the same time, if you don't have quality people running an organization, if you don't have top talent really moving the needle forward to solve the problem they've set out to solve, hunger, homelessness, mm-hmm. you know, the void in public education, right. these examples you just gave, well then, you know, how how good and how effective is that dollar invested to mission going to be? So I think the expense ratio question, you know, the answer is not concrete. Others Absolutely say not. never more than this or never more than that. I'm just curious your your professional opinion on yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's a slippery slip. And we have some of the donor-advised fund holders that we work with that, that will ask for that number. Mm-hmm. You know, how much of every dollar that I give is going to go directly 
to Mission. the hungry child or right. whatever. And I I really hesitate to ever answer that question because I agree with you. It depends. And I think the the basis of that question is comes from a mindset of scarcity. It assumes that the pie is only so big and it cannot get bigger. But if you think about investing a little more in your people, in your infrastructure anymore, you know, a good website isn't a luxury for a nonprofit. It's really table stakes. That's right. Um, so investing in good social media. So absolutely. All of that stuff that used to seem extra yep. is now really core yep. to your mission and to fundraising. And so if you make that piece of the pie bigger, does the whole pie get bigger? Right. And I, I think that's a fantastic way to say it. I've not heard it said that way, but you're exactly right. And I do see, you know, I call it stepping over a dollar to pick up a dime. Mm. I do see some of our, you know, nonprofit clients or those that even maybe at where I serve on a board um, who will be scared to, oh, well, we don't have a social media manager because that would cost us 30000 a year or 35000 a year or 40000 a year. And yet they're— Or we, got, a, we got an intern for that. Or we got an intern who comes in one day a week right. for two hours, right? right? <laughs> and and then on the other side, they've got corporate partners who are saying, well, we expect to see digital engagement right. and what's your reach and how do we tell this story? Well, you know, through one strong grant, they could fund— an entire, you know, person for a year. So I definitely think it's a different mindset and a different way to think. But I couldn't agree more that, you know, maybe if you if you stop focusing on the scarcity of the of the potential finite, mm-hmm. you know, reach of the pie, you could really do so much more. I agree. And I think for nonprofits that are struggling with that, if we just had this, you know, maybe we would step over the dollar to get to $100. <laughs> right. Um Think about who your champions are. Who are the people that believe in you more than anyone, whether it's a foundation or a board member or uh, just a generous philanthropist, and see if they will give you a little capacity building money to hire that professional social media manager whose job it is to build your social media presence and see if that turns into something bigger. Yeah. I Uh, think to take that risk and to figure out who's in your who's in your bullpen or in your stable that will make that bet on you. Yep. I think that's solid advice. I would say if nobody learns anything from this except that, it was worth our time today because um, I I see it over and over again. And, you know, we were just talking about the competition for dollars and the number of nonprofits in the community. And if you, if it's not easy to understand who you are, what you're doing, and who's connected to you, and I think there's no easier way to do that than through, through a digital mm-hmm. space. Boy, it's hard to cut through. It is. So I think that's great advice. So let's talk about, um, let's switch gears just for a second, back into the Inner Workings of Austin Community Foundation. So I'm familiar with the Women's Fund. Uh, I've been to the luncheon, which is very empowering and exciting and um, lots of energy. But you also have um, other other funds. And so tell me a little bit about that model, because I'm not sure I understand that piece of, of the Austin Community Foundation as it relates to maybe the the pieces you were talking about further, uh, in the beginning with the donor or the philanthropist? Yeah. So I think we see our role, you know, as I mentioned, sort of in the intersection between donor and nonprofit, uh, but also as a place where philanthropy can be democratized. So when you use the word philanthropy, that even feels heavy. Like you have to be a Gates or a Rockefeller. Right. You know, you have to have some kind of wealth that would be worthy of that term, philanthropy. And we really see you can open a donor advised fund at the Austin Community Foundation for $5,000. Um, and so our fund holders 
they have done well, but they're not, we're not talking about the wealthiest Austinites among us. So our ability to democratize philanthropy, we're trying to trickle that down into everything we do. So you mentioned the Women's Fund. The goal there is to um, ensure the economic security of women in Central Texas as a way to alleviate poverty. That's a really big goal. And no single one of our donors can do that on his or her own. Mm -hmm. But together, when we pool our resources with a really sound strategy, which is to invest in the economic security of women, we can make a big difference together. So while I myself might not be able to write a $50,000 check, we can together. And right. so that's really the philosophy behind all of these funds. We also have a Hispanic impact fund that has a similar thesis that the economic future of our region is so closely tied to the economic success of Latino families. Yep that we have to make investments there if we care about Austin. And ditto our most recent fund, uh, Fund ATX, which is an impact investment fund. And that is an idea um, that's really gaining popularity across philanthropy. But the idea is that you can invest some dollars. In our case, it's our endowment dollars that would otherwise be invested in the public markets locally in Austinites with the expectation of a below market return. So those dollars come back to us, but while they're working, they're building affordable housing. They are extending fair financial products to people that were otherwise seeking out predatory payday loans. So our idea is that if we can do it all together with a strategy that we're all on board with, we can do more. That's fascinating. So do the, do the Fund ATX, does that partner with for-profit partners in that space of providing service or nonprofit or both? Right now, so just, you know, to, to be vulnerable, we um, we learned a lot of lessons as we launched this. When we first launched Fund ATX, we threw the doors wide open and we said, if you have a for-profit, a nonprofit, you're an individual and you are looking to make a difference in Austin, let us know. We'll make a below market loan up to $250,000. Let's talk. And indeed, the doors were thrown wide open and you would... You heard from people. Oh, man. <laughs> My favorite was from a from a group called Fit Kitty that was going to do, uh, I think, sustainable yoga mats. Oh, okay. Probably a good business idea, Pro but maybe. not necessarily in the direction that we were headed. Right, right. Um, so we learned and we iterated. And I think that's another piece of advice I would give is to take some risks and be willing to admit that sometimes you do it right and sometimes you don't. Right. Um, and to have the support of a board that's willing to take that journey with you. Yep. Um, so what we learned is that we were not there to bet on winners, uh, but there are professionals in the space that do that. And so we have learned that our best investment is through what are called intermediaries. So groups that, um, for example, one of our early investments was through People Fund, which is a yeah. community development financial institution, CDFI. And so we make the loan to them. They then have relationships with individual entrepreneurs that are undercapitalized in Austin and make loans to them. Those entrepreneurs repay People Fund and People Fund repays us. So we Smart. make one bet right. on the folks that we know do a really good job. Right. And then that helps extend their mission. It helps us extend our mission. And everybody is doing the highest and best of what they do well. That Also, that model you just described is exactly the model that you talked about earlier being what the best practice for the groups that you serve, yeah. which is look around and find the partners that make the most sense and then you know work together. So that you can achieve more. So, sounds like you landed on on the right thing 
you know, for for you, but also a better reach and a better impact for our community. Yeah, it's kind of where we end up. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind no, of where it makes we end sense. Up. So, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about events because I love events. And like I said, I have been to the Women's Fund Luncheon, and I find it very empowering to sit in that room. And there's a lot of just um, a lot of positivity, a lot of energy, a lot of people that I might not otherwise be in a room with. Uh, and I enjoyed it very much. I'm curious, as you work with nonprofits, is there a conversation with them about um, events, about marketing, about social media, or in what way do you kind of bring your best practices to them and advice to them? I I think we do a lot by modeling. I don't, because we are mostly a grant-making organization, I don't tend to have a lot of conversations with nonprofits about their events. Certainly, we get invited to a lot and get invited to sponsor a lot, but we, we really focus our um, f- financial investment in nonprofits through grant-making. Um, but I hope what we model through our events is uh, several things. One, that it is totally focused on mission. Um, The Community Foundation really started hosting a lot more events over the last handful of years. And uh, it's no coincidence that as we were ramping up our event uh, schedule, Mm -hmm. I, in my personal life, have very small children and realized that if you are going to leave your family or your career, that that event better be substantive, uh, better be fun, Yep. And people better leave feeling like it was worth their time. Otherwise, or they'll never come back. Yeah, because you could go to a nonprofit event, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. No doubt. And so those three things were really important to us. And so we have grounded all of our events, whether it's a fundraiser or just uh, a convening, a meeting on those things that it needs to be first and foremost substantive because there's just there's too many people can go get a glass of wine with their buddies anytime they want. That's um, right. So it, it has to have that substance that ties back to your mission and leaves people feeling like you have a solution that their charitable dollar can move forward. Right. I, and I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, what I think the competition, going again, going back to the competition for dollars, you could go to something morning, noon, and night every single day. Um, and, and that's great. And I think people want to do good. But at the same time, they do have a lot pulling on their attention. And so, you know, that's why... I see from from an events perspective, I see them as an extension of your marketing team, and they should actually they should always be seen as an investment, and and so then success driven, you know, every investment, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna go buy a car unless you know like these are the things I want out of the car. I want it to last this long. I want it to be able to carry my children or whatever it is, right? You've got goals in mind when you make an investment in anything. I think the same is true with philanthropy. So I think when people look at an event or uh, an organization, they think, this is my goal. Maybe my goal is I just want to feel good about investing in, you know, helping someone get in a home with Habitat or whatever it is. But often what I find is people have different goals and they and they do things for different reasons. So I think it is a responsibility of the nonprofit as they set their own event model in place, whatever it is, a meeting, a gala, a golf tournament, it doesn't matter. Start from a place of what is your goal as an organization. Our goal is fun. Our goal is, goal is to communicate our mission. Our goal is to get people to want to return. Whatever those goals are and then build from there, I think that then allows the audience and attendance to, one, feel respected, like mm-hmm. their time was respected. Absolutely. And then, two, to think about, okay, I could see myself investing here because I know they're paying attention. I think those things shine through uh, when an organization approaches something 
from that place. I agree. And you can feel it at an event when you when you can tell the staff and the volunteers attended to those things. And I think your point is so well taken and the foundation of all of it is relationships. You know, the relationships that you have on your staff that allow you to extend your brand through an event because your staff feels trusted and respected and like they are working towards a mission that they can buy into. Um, The relationships you have with your donors, you're right. Everybody has a different motivation. Somebody wants their name and big flashing lights at that event and somebody else wants to underwrite the middle school girls to attend and they don't want their name anywhere. Right. So I think having really good relationships with your donors and and realizing that that event is not going to be a one-size-fits-all for every donor in your portfolio and figuring out how to engage people in different ways throughout the year. Absolutely. So tell me, the increase in of, event, of events for Austin Community Foundation, um, where did that come about? You said over the last few years, you've really seen an increase in the number of events that you're doing. What's the philosophy behind that increase? That's an awesome question. I think this is the first time I've stopped to really think about that. Yeah. Um, several things come directly to mind. One, our board really sees us in a convening role. So we are a neutral place for philanthropists and nonprofit to come together and talk mm-hmm. about our community's most pressing needs. And so there are very few organizations that have that that sort of privilege and that opportunity. So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that we increase our focus on data. We realize that we couldn't, if we were going to take a point of view on anything, women's issues, issues in the Hispanic community, poverty, whatever it is, that that point of view needed to be grounded in data. And why commission reports or review data and publish it if it's going to sit on a shelf. Right. And so the only way that that data is activated is if you bring people together to talk about it. And that has really been, I think, the the central driver around getting people together, again, whether it's to the goal of raising money or to the goal of just talking. Right. That's interesting. There's um, so, you know, my I think people say and I truly believe people do business with people they know. And I think that knowing someone can happen even in the environment of all coming together as a convener. You know, we all attend this meeting that Austin Community Foundation is having because they're publishing information as it relates to this problem or or whatever. Um, So I think that makes good sense. And I think it makes good sense for your partners. What an opportunity for them that the nonprofits get the chance to come and sit in a room like that Mm -hmm. is an enormous benefit. I can't even imagine what a gift that is to, to offer to them. Right. You know, the the thing I see happening um, from an events perspective is a friend of mine is a uh, in the retail space. She's a top buyer for Neiman Marcus. And she told me about a year ago, she said, you know, Jennifer, nobody wants to buy a coat anymore. What they want to do is they want to come into the store. They want a little fake s'mores station set up in front of a little fake fire with Christmas carols playing and an Instagram wall. And they want to interact with their kids that they're with or their friends that they're with. And they want to take a couple of photos with it. And they want to, you know, talk to the sales clerks about how fun it is. And then they'll jump on the iPad that the sales clerk has. And then they buy the coat. And she said Uh everything is now about the experience. And she said, you know— if you don't build an experience, it's too, there's too many other things pulling on people. There's too many other distractions. Everything we've been talking about, family, philanthropy, community, jobs, 
all of these things. She said, they just don't, they don't show up anymore. They don't walk in the store anymore. And she said, so for us, what we've realized is we have to create an experience and an event, even out of something as simple as it's time to buy your winter coat. That's fascinating. And I think the same is true in philanthropy in a lot of ways. So, you know, yeah. people, maybe they do or don't want to see a big extravagant thing. But I think back to your point a minute ago, if you'll meet them where they are, one size doesn't fit all. And create an opportunity for people to engage with you in a different types of events or different um, times of day, those sorts of things. Uh, I do think it can go a long way. That's fascinating. So many lessons to be learned. And um, I think who who is there is also you talked about our Women's Fund event, Keyholder, um, which is coming up on January 30th. Good. Um, that the people in the room make it electric. And that is part of the experience. And as we were planning for our very first key holder, which was in 20, oh gosh, 2016, I think. Okay. Um, it was interesting because I was really, as I mentioned, really focused on things being substantive and was trying to pull the, this event pendulum all the way to the substantive side. And it's going to be very serious and data rich, <laughs> you know, and um, as we were Must planning. have data. Right. Totally. <laughs> and so we're sitting there planning and one of the members of the committee was running a little bit late. And when she came in, somebody else popped up and hugged her and said, oh my gosh, I love your outfit. And where'd you get those shoes? And I just had this moment of clarity that that's an essential piece of of what we're trying of, of the experience that people want to have fun if they're going to be away from whatever keeps them busy otherwise and that looks different depending on your constituency so i think right. a really thoughtful review of what your constituency wants what that experience is is it is it a photo booth or is it the opportunity to talk to an author is it you know so what is that experience that's going to pull somebody away from the things that are important yeah, to them. Very smart. Something else you just touched on that maybe I'd like to spend one more second on is who's in the room. You know, you just said it's important for us to think about who's in the room. I, I could not agree more. And something that I also see happen a lot is uh, we just, well, we got to fill the room. We got to fill the table. That donor's not using it. Let's fill it. Let's fill it. And, you know, what I always try to guide people to is, you know, again, let's go to goal. And what are we trying to achieve? And then let's make every decision, including who are we putting in that room, toward goal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I see people say, oh, well, what we'll do with that table is we'll give it to our volunteers. They're so great. And they volunteer all year long. Well, that's great. But if the volunteers are sitting in the room and maybe they're a grassroots volunteer base who don't have the capacity to give and you're doing a high-end live auction, that, that's not comfortable on anybody. The volunteers are going to talk to each other. They're going to, you know, that noise is going to distract from the auction. They don't feel good about sitting there at an event maybe that they're not comfortable in. Mm -hmm. It's just you've really got to meet people where they are and be very thoughtful about who am I putting in the room and why am I putting them in the room. Right. And I think that goes back to our conversation about relationships and really, have you know, having your board feel comfortable with tapping into their relationships so that if we do have an open table and we're going to comp people anyway, that we're comping the right people. Absolutely. And quality. Quality and that it's that there's a one-on-one -on -one ask. I can't tell you how much more successful it is when I get an email from Jennifer Stevens that says, Megan, going to this event, I thought about you because of your connection to XYZ. I hope you'll join me, which is so much different than like, why send a constant contact? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it went to your spam. Mm -hmm. Did you not find it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's a it's a great point. So to that point, one of the other things I try to say is that people don't value what's free. So I do think the other piece of that is to make sure work with your board. Make it a direct ask. And then when the board member's doing that, 
just to the example you just gave, they can say, this is something important to me. I think it would be important to you because as I was thinking about it, I know that you're interested in X, Y, and Z. And I know that this is an organization you're going to love to learn more about. That makes it feel very personal and connected, not just like, hey, I got this table and we have an extra seat. What are you doing on Tuesday? Right. Right. That messaging is critical. Right. So what two or three things do you think a donor is looking for? as they consider what nonprofit they're interested in investing in. What what are they looking for from a nonprofit in terms of maybe leadership or prioritization? And do you think that's changed over the last few years? I do. I do think it's I think some things have changed and some things have stayed the same. Um, I think leadership matters. Uh, when I first started the Community Foundation in 2005, seven million years ago. How is that possible? <laughs> You're only 15. I know, as a child. Um, the executive director at the time said, as we were reviewing grants, he said, you know, bet on the jockey. And That's while there, yeah, while there are many other things to consider, people want to feel really good that that leader is has a vision communicates that vision well and in a way that inspires people to come with him or her. So I think that that leader really matters. And and then from there, I think it's really important that that leader empowers his or her staff so that it's not a cult of personality, that it is about more than that leader, that it's about the mission, it's about the organization. I think something that I've seen change is an increased focus on metrics. Prove it. Show me you're making a difference. What are you measuring? How are you changing your programs if it's not working? And donors are asking those more sophisticated questions where, as before, I think philanthropy was something that you just felt good about. It's just what you did. Yep. Everybody does it. It's a way to you know build social capital, make business connections. I mean, there's lots of reasons to do it other than whatever the mission is. Sure. Um, but I think more and more people want to see that my investment is a sound one, and they want to see that in terms of numbers. Very smart. Um, so I, I think that is something that people are looking for. And then I think people just want to feel like they've they've done well and they want to do good. And so I always encourage nonprofits and when they're writing grant applications to speak to both the head and the heart. And I, I think that's true in a grant application where you can literally write it all out, but that's also true in relationships. Uh, so to make that compelling sort of um, empirical case that what you're doing is working, but then also to humanize it with a story or to connect it back to that donor um, who got a scholarship and but for that scholarship wouldn't have gone to college and wouldn't have been able to start a business or whatever it was in that person's path that has brought them to the coffee that you're at with them now and really figuring out how to how to connect the heart. Because at the end of the day, if people aren't moved, then maybe they give once, but they're not going to give again. Right. That's great advice. Bet on the jockey. Bet I on love the it. jockey. 